104 of Shades Midweek. If you're joining us for the first time, this is a podcast about theology, culture, and all things Shades. My name is John Mark DeRoe. I'm the worship pastor here at Shades Valley Community Church. We are recording live in Four Stream Studio, and I'm joined by our executive pastor and our senior pastor, Brad Brown and Jonathan Hafes. Good to see you all. Glad you're here with us. Would there be a way for us to record that wasn't live? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I have to think about that. No, well, I, I just wanted to like... I, mean, I think that just implies that we don't edit. Like, like it's yeah. just kind of, you know, it, what, what, right. what happens what right happens, now happens. is what you get. That's right. Right. We're not so. doing this four or five times. Yeah. Yeah. There's not like and multiple editing takes. it together. Well, I mean, right. that's why we let John Mark do the intro because when the days when we let you do the intro, it was like four or five takes. <laughs> I'm I'm not a one take wonder. <laughs> I've just accepted that. Oh. Well, gentlemen, I feel the need to offer condolences to y'all right now. Offer you a shoulder to cry on if you need, or a hug, or what have not, because there um were some tragic events that transpired in during the midst of March Madness this past week. It's true. It has not been a good march for the SEC. <laughs> it has not. It's been rather disappointing. And on Sunday night, I had a group of Auburn fans over at my house as we gathered together to enjoy and, and celebrate uh, the Auburn Tigers and the run that they've made this year That's with right. the potential number one draft pick. And <laughs> we lost the second round game. <laughs> Of the NCAA tournament, and oh. we were all very upset <laughs> and disappointed. I'm Sorry. just thinking about like the joy that Grant Primo is getting yeah. right now <laughs> as he listens to us. Well, guys, I feel the need to personally apologize because the first round game of Auburn, I was able to join you two you gentlemen were. and yep. watch that game. That's right. And upon uh, the conclusion of that game and being victorious, I told you, I was like, well, now according to you know, sports rules. You I've got I got to be present to watch every game with y'all. This is what happens. And I failed you. I failed you on Sunday night. We had a community group commitment that we had to be at, and I apologize if mm, this, this was any, if this yeah. is any way my fault. We need to talk about priorities, Jonathan. <laughs> now, here's the question: In light of everything that's gone down, who do y'all have to win now? Well, well my win I, hasn't changed yeah, because y'all okay. both picked Auburn, but I, I picked Gonzaga. Jonathan's still in good shape. I picked Auburn. Would you? Obviously. Will you? Would you change it? Or do you still have Gonzaga? No, no I wouldn't change your heart. it. But I mean, everybody's brackets busted to a certain extent. I mean, because my Kentucky, as much as Grant wants to laugh at you, he picked Kentucky to win the whole thing. <laughs> I had Kentucky in the final four. Kentucky got knocked out the first round by a team called St. Peter's that no one had heard of. That's right. Didn't they win their second round game, too? Aren't they still there? They're in the Sweet 16. This is a Cinderella story. Yeah, it's exciting. All right, J.M., what about you? Who do you have? Well, I redid – actually, my my son, our oldest son, Moses, who's seven, he really wanted to fill out a bracket. Turns out that ESPN does a second chance bracket oh, after fun. the first two rounds are over. So you basically pick from the Sweet 16 on. Uh, I'm trying to remember who he picked to win. I believe I think he picked Arizona. He either picked Arizona or Gonzaga. I can't mm. remember. So I haven't really done any new picks. My guess is at this point, Gonzaga has a great opportunity to go pretty far. I think Purdue Actually, in their bracket, they've got mm. a pretty good path forward. 
Um, I think Arizona could go a long way, and obviously Kansas. I mean, those are safe bets. Those are yep, yep. mostly of the most of those are one seed. So, hey, let let's see St. Peter's go all the way, man. I mean, That'd I think incredible. that would be nobody win their brackets. I think that would be amazing. Be incredible, just complete chaos at this point. Just just That's chaos. Right. Let chaos reign. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, well, all right, gentlemen. We probably do need to move on as much as we could sit here and make this our our sports podcast. That's right. We uh we have much much more serious things There's to attend to today. That's right. Yeah, for um, sure. So yeah, so let's let's do an album. All right. James album of the week. Yes. Album of the week this week comes from an artist that I've featured several times previously in this segment called Young Oceans, a group originally from Brooklyn, New York. I believe they find themselves in Nashville, Tennessee now. This is actually an instrumental record uh, that was released this year titled Like History. Um, it is basically the instrumental versions of songs off of the 2021 release called You Are Fullness which Young Oceans put out last year. He's done some instrumental versions of his records before. I think it's a really neat idea. I think it's really cool because a lot of uh, of his songs have a lot of unique instrumentation. There's a lot of beautiful melodies. Mm. There's a lot of layers to his music, and so sometimes when you are able to take away the vocals out of the mix, you're able to hear uh, a lot more of the detailed aspects of the record. So... And I think they added some stuff, too, which is cool Dude, as well. I, so. I've been jamming this record so hard this week. But wh- one of the things that's intriguing to me about it, because when I, I immediately assumed it was the 2020 album or 2021 album. Right. Uh, with just the lyrics removed. Right. Um, none of the track titles are the same. Like, he renamed all the tracks. Yep, and there's a different sequence as well yeah. as far as the order goes. Yeah, so it's it's really it's, it's an intriguing listen. So yes. e- even if you've listen to the the previous record uh, like jm was saying there's some surprises in store there's a lot of surprises and uh the previous record had 11 tracks on it this one has 13 so there are two brand new fully instrumental tracks that he added uh but because i don't know the names of any of these from the previous album right. because they're all different i i'm not quite sure which ones those are at this moment we'll have, but to, we'll have to try and figure that out <laughs> Man, it is a great record. I just love what Young Oceans does. The production's amazing. It sounds mm-hmm. incredible. It's a great album to study to, to yes. pray to, worship to, whatever uh, you want to use it for. So definitely check that out. It's by Young Oceans. The album is called Like History. I want this one on cool. vinyl. It'd be cool if he did I, a vinyl I, version. I don't think they'll won't. put it out. Yeah, because probably not the market for it, but... Man, you know what that just cool, what, what this just reminded me of though. You talking about this being an album to pray to? We're gonna have to do an episode. I'm just gonna tease this for everybody. We're gonna have to do an episode about the conversation we had yesterday. Uh, we're we're reading a book together right now, the oh, three sure. of us, and we had a conversation about music and background music and the role of it, uh, like in prayer and in things like that. And oh, it, yeah. it all came out of a a very specific biblical text. 
that this book mentioned and engaged in a way that I'd never thought about before. That's right. It's an intriguing conversation. I'm just going to drop that that'd and say we'll ep- do an episode on that. We could do an episode on music and spiritual warfare and oh man, emotional manipulation. I'm, fe- I'm, I'm there's, feeling there's a lot it. Of th- I'm there, feeling it. There's a yeah. There's a lot there's of things we talk can talk about. about for sure. Um, so we'll just drop that as a teaser. Because the book the actually also mentions uh, people prophesying with their instruments instrumentally i know now that is also an interesting concept it's, it's so, interesting stuff yeah that maybe a little teaser for an upcoming episode in the works over the next few months here at mm-hmm. shades midweek well i don't even care if brad has a book i just want to listen to this album for the rest of our time <laughs> awesome all right all right I brad. Have a book about jesus jonathan okay. do you not care about it i care about jesus all right let's hear what, what your book is can anyone blame me for not wanting to swap from Young Oceans to this? I mean, this just, it's not prophetic music, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, despite Jonathan not caring about God, I am very excited about the book that I have for this edition of Bradford's Book Club. It is a book titled The Apostles' Creed for All God's Children. Art by Natasha Kennedy and text by Ben Myers. I don't know Natasha, but I am familiar with Ben Myers. He's written a book on the Apostles' Creed that I believe I featured on Bradford's book club. So he is a world-class theologian, and I love the artwork just as I flip through the book again. Let me read a little bit from the back cover. Join Fat Cat, the friendly feline, as he learns the traditional text of the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> I love it. I'm loving it already. The earliest I'm just summary. wondering what it is with you with theology plus children's books, specifically plus cats. Yeah, that, that seems I to be it, a man. reoccurring thing. Yes. Oh, yeah, the Heidelberg cat. Yeah. yeah, that was totally a book you featured before. Anyway, I, keep and going. I really don't like cats as pets. So Keep, keep I, going. Why do they... Why are they the teachers that I select? I don't know. You just offended half of our audience, I'm sure. I know. Enjoy vibrantly illustrated scenes of Jesus' life and search for Fat Cat on every page. Young readers and families will read a line from the Creed along with a simple reflection to tuck into their hearts with a list of scriptures for further learning and a family prayer. This Fat Cat book is perfect to read again and again. In a fun and accessible way, believers can visualize, memorize, understand, and confess the Apostles' Creed, which has united all Christians for centuries. So, for example, the line that's in the Creed and the life everlasting, look what it says. Listen to what it says. Will Jesus ever stop sharing the Holy Spirit? Will God ever stop loving Jesus and his sisters and brothers? The life that Jesus shares is always new. It never gets old. It never runs out. It never fails. There will always be more of God's life to share. Can I count all the sand on the beach? Can I count all the stars in the sky? That would be easier than counting all the good things that God has to share with me. It's one of my favorite theological concepts right there that you're reading about. Uh, I, I love to talk to people about, people have this concept of, of eternity of new creation yep. that's like static and like oh i know everything and so everything's going to be boring and blah, blah blah yep and what i love to tell them is you know the excitement you get when you understand something or you see something new or whatever imagine that feeling never stopping yep it's just beautiful yep there will always be more of god's life to share life and god is so big and so full that it never ends 
and that life is mine to share right now. That's what I believe. I just so. ordered the book. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a no what a what a turn no from the beginning of order placed. <laughs> you want us over, book Brad? Club. That's well, right. I'm always looking for books for my children. You know, yeah. I have a seven-year-old and a soon-to-be four-year-old, and we're always just looking for new books to read. And yeah, the Apostles' Creed for all children. Love it by Natasha Kennedy and Ben Myers. Love it. Check it out. Well, awesome. Um, to shift gears a little bit to something a little more serious, you know, we we uh, we have like a weekly meeting uh, every week together as a staff. We talk about various things that we need to get done. A part of that meeting is usually discussing what we're going to do here on Shades Midweek. We talk about potential episode topics, guests that we could have, and obviously with um, all the recent violence and war that we've been seeing uh, in Ukraine. Obviously, this was something that we've been talking about a lot. We had the McClungs on uh, last week who are uh, missionaries uh, that are returning to Poland to help on the border there. They're in Poland now. They're there right now uh, as we speak. I actually saw Josh update uh, their Instagram. I believe it was today or yesterday. Um, So they are on the ground over there right now. One of the uh, things that we talked about was reaching out to the EFCA, our uh, denomination that we're affiliated with. They have a uh, team called the Reach Global Crisis Response. We reached out uh, to the director. He emailed me back within 30 minutes of me emailing him, asking if he would uh, like to come onto the podcast. We've just actually just finished uh, recording that interview a few minutes ago, and that is what we're going to be listening to today. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy this interview. If you would like to email us, you can email the show at midweek at shadesvalley.org. As you'll as you'll hear, there are multiple ways in which you can help, uh, considering helping and praying for the EFCA uh, Reach Global Crisis Response. I am going to put a ton of links and information in our show notes. So whatever app you listen through, uh, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you should be able to see links in the show notes, ways that you can help and uh, pray for uh, Reach Global. So here is that interview now. Thank you so much for listening this week. All right, we are very excited and honored to be able to have a conversation today with Mark Lewis. Mark is the director of the EFCA, Reach Global Crisis Response. Mark, thank you so much for your time and coming on Shades Midweek. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. It's a pleasure to join you. Thanks for the invitation. Now, where are you joining us from? Um, today, I'm actually in uh in Pennsylvania, uh, just got back here after spending about three weeks or three and a half weeks on the um, Ukraine border at a number of different locations in Hungary, uh, Slovakia, and Poland. Now, Mark, is uh, is crisis is the EFSA crisis response? Is it uh, headquartered there in Pennsylvania? Uh, no. Um, we actually have some my own family uh, emergency kinds of things happening. So um, just uh, my uh, uh, my dad's been on hospice. So the day that I left to go to Europe, um, he fell. And uh, so he had, you know, he's been in that circumstance. So I was able to get back here and, um, 
and uh, you know navigating some of that on a personal level. So, well, uh, our uh, Reach Global Crisis Response is actually headquartered in um, uh, Covington, Louisiana, just north of New Orleans. We uh, we started uh, we have ended up there as our headquarters as a result of the long term ministry that we had uh, in response to Hurricane Katrina. Um, and so uh, in the aftermath of that, uh, several years afterwards, a number of churches came together and uh, they uh, uh, really appreciated our intentional focus on disciple making and church planting in the unique mission field that follows crisis and, uh, and ended up investing in building a, a facility there. We've got a, about a 6,000 square foot ministry center on the campus of Trinity Church. Uh, EFCA Church there in Covington, Louisiana. So that's been our headquarters. It's been a really strategic location for us uh, for our domestic responses as uh, we've been able to uh, launch out of there to respond to, you know, hurricanes, tornadoes, uh, floods um, all across uh, the, you know, the greater uh, South and Midwest and even the East Coast uh, of the U.S. from that location. So. That's awesome. Well, we definitely want to hear more about EFCA Reach Global Crisis and the work that you do. But before we do that, would you mind telling us a little bit about your testimony, how you came to faith, and how you ended up in this position as the director? Yeah, sure. Um, I uh, grew up in a church family, um, a Roman Catholic uh, background, and so I never doubted the existence of God and um, you know, there was a faith element to my life, but as a, a teenager somewhere in there, I questioned um, the the, um, the emphasis on doing and feeling like you could never be good enough if you're trying to do things on your own to earn, a, you know, earn favor with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really make sense to me. And then um, uh, somewhere in there, a friend of mine uh, was a, a pastor's kid and uh, we were hanging out and doing a lot of stuff together and he invited me to church and I went on a number of occasions with him and I just remember one Sunday evening hearing a real clear simple presentation of the gospel that uh, that just Jesus died and he wanted a relationship with me and it just made so much sense like I didn't it, it wasn't up to me um, it was a it was a completed work by Christ on the cross and um, so that started a faith journey for me. Um, it, it took a number of years till, uh, till, uh, I think we, uh, was, um, had met my wife and we were dating and we were ex- trying to figure out a church to go to together. And, uh, we discovered the evangelical free church of Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, we visited there and we heard some really great expositional preaching and the first time I was there, I, I said to her, we're not looking at any more churches. This is, <laughs> this is the word of God being preached and we need to be here. And that was a place where we grew. Um, we were part of um, uh, a, uh, a team that planted a, uh, a daughter church from that church. So that gave us some great experience in, um, you know, small group ministry and church planting and such, which has been invaluable uh you know, invaluable practical training for, for a lot of what I do now. Uh, and then in, 
in, uh, in the midst of that, in the early 90s, um, there was a gigantic flood in the central part of the U.S., Mississippi River flooded. And uh, my wife and I one night were watching television and we felt, um, my wife said, boy, I wish we could help. And I said, well, why don't we? So uh, we called the uh, EFCA's national office and said, hey, we want, want to volunteer. And whoever answered the phone said, you know, we don't do that. And I'm like, we don't do what, like help people in need or, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, we just aren't organized around that. So it was, it was an interesting thing for my wife and I. We thought at, in that moment, we thought, wow, we're part of a denomination and no one really, they don't really have anybody organizing um, this, you know, responding and engaging in ministry in the aftermath of crisis. Anyway, we um, organized our own short-term mission teams and, we went to uh, to serve that particular, uh, you know, in that particular after uh, in the aftermath of that particular flood event, and we got uh, assigned to go shovel mud out of a basement somewhere in a neighborhood, um, and so we were happy to go and do that work and just serve however was needed. We did it in the morning, Monday morning. We shoveled mud for four or five hours, and then we took a break at lunch and we started to walk around. And, when we got to the neighborhood, no one was there, but uh, by lunchtime, a number of the other families were around, and they were trying to clean out their homes, and um, and so we we took a prayer walk around the neighborhood. We just met family after family, and uh, it was just this really unique moment. We connected. Um, we heard their stories. We cried tears with them. We hugged. We prayed, and just uh, every family that we interacted with somewhere in the conversation asked us, who are you? Where are you from? Why are you here? And every one of those conversations allowed us an opportunity to share um, why we were there, that Jesus had done something in our lives and he had called us to come and serve and engage and that we were there actually for them that day. And, um, and we could, uh, you know, speak gospel, hope and truth and life and light into uh, the lives of the folks that we met um, and continued to do that for the week that we were there. And, and as we reflected on what happened in that first particular day of serving, um, the Lord gave me this phrase, there's a mission field in the wake of crisis, because that's what we experienced. We experienced this unique openness to uh, investing um, in a holistic way, you know, caring for people physically, but being there more, more particularly relationally, emotionally, um, even, you know, intellectually, but certainly spiritually. And, and in fact, that's what we've discovered as we've engaged in this ministry for really since then, um, that there is this unique mission field that follows crisis. Uh, you know, we were, since that time in 93, we took a, a, a lot of different short-term missions trips and, and, and uh, took lots of people with us along the way to help in their spiritual growth and development, you know, intentionally inviting people along. Um, and we continued to learn. Um, but it was in 2005 when uh, Katrina hit that um, uh, I called the EFCA's office again, and this time somebody said, well, uh, we visited a church there in Covington, and, and there was another EFCA church in New Orleans, and um, and there's some significant needs in the area. And after a conversation, I said, well, what do you need the most? 
and he said, um, I need somebody in Louisiana tomorrow. And I thought, well, I guess that's me because I was trying to discern what the Lord wanted for our family, for me to do in the moment. So I said, well, I'll get in a car and I'll be there maybe not tomorrow, but you know, maybe in in the evening tomorrow kind of a thing. So um, I left a few hours later and uh, grabbed a couple of guys from my local church and took with me and was expecting to be there a week. And about three days into it, uh, into being there, I heard uh, you know, reading scripture and experiencing all that was happening. Um, I heard the Lord pretty clearly say, uh, I made you for this. And, and I knew what that was. I knew that he had made me, he had wired me, he had equipped me and was now calling me to this mission field that follows crisis. Um, I called my, uh, I thought, well, if the Lord's calling me, he's, he uh, clearly needs to be calling my wife. Um, so I called her and I had just prayed. I said, Lord, if this is you, um, you're going to already have prepared my wife in ahead of time. So when I'm, uh, sharing this, she's going to, she's just going to know that this is what we're supposed to do. So literally I called her up and I said, Hey babe, I think the Lord's telling us to move down here. And, uh, she said, uh, she's quiet for a second or two or three. And, uh, but she replied, well, I guess I'll start packing the house and, so that was a call to ministry. We we relocated to Louisiana, and um, wow. you know, just a few days after Katrina, I stayed there. My wife packed the house. She came down with the kids a couple of months after, and, uh, and we still live there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the in the in the time since then, you know, we've seen the Lord's favor in uh, in the response through the Katrina response and beyond that to really see the essence of the EFCA's crisis response ministry come into its fullness. And and the essence of our ministry is intentional disciple-making. We're intentionally investing in in the local churches that we serve uh, domestically and internationally. Um, We're we're focused on restoring the body in the aftermath of crisis. Mm. Uh, We're intentionally investing in outreach and evangelism and discipleship and church planting amongst the community, the members of the, of the, uh, the the area region that maybe was impacted by crisis. Uh, But then also investing intentionally in volunteers. You you, uh, folks from your church have come and served with us and hopefully they experienced this, this intentional uh, investment in them as, as they came and served for a week. Our hope is that the Lord would do something in their lives so that they would be transformed and return back to the, to the uh, area that Shades Valley serves and be gospel ministers in that location as well, uh, bearing fruit uh, as a result of what they maybe learned and experienced. Um, so kind of a byline of our ministry is it's about people, not the project. We're focused because we're focused on intentional disciple making. We do help in physical ways. Um, but that's not the end. Uh, it's really just an access point into um, uh, just bringing light and life and hope uh, that the Lord has put in us in a very uh, direct relational way uh, with those the Lord brings us in, in our path uh, to serve. So, so that's a that's maybe the long story of how we got to be doing what we're doing and, and the why behind it. Um, the Lord's opened up opportunities for us to serve uh, 
and uh, internationally. We've been involved in many different responses around the world, and um, of course, presently um, heavily involved with the circumstances in, in the Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, since you're fresh on the ground, just having come back from Ukraine and Poland, um, could, could you tell us just a little bit about what the uh, maybe what the crisis looked like there on the ground to you, the refugee crisis and, and kind of what uh, the EFC, the work that the EFCA crisis is specifically engaging in there. Yeah. Um, so we're, there's a number of different um, uh, dimensions or a number of different contexts that we're focusing on with the response. So yeah, the first is actually in Ukraine itself and, and particularly in areas where, um, uh, where there's, you know, active uh, disruption, we'll say, you know, fighting or bombing or something like that. Um, we've Reach Global has had ministry workers in Ukraine for uh, decades, and so we have a lot of re- uh, relationships with Ukrainian churches and leaders. And so, uh, so we've been uh, since the beginning days of the war, being, uh, you know, connecting in with them and tracking with what the circumstances are with them and their churches. Some have We've been part of praying them as they've evacuated their families out of the country. Uh, some of those families or leaders have stayed. Um, and so we've been um, uh, able to get some um, resources into their hands, uh, particularly in the first several weeks. It's a little bit difficult, more difficult now, uh, just because some of the uh, banks and you know electricity grid is down and, and such. But, uh, but in the first three weeks really being able to get resources into the hands of local church pastors so they could, you know, buy food, put gas in vehicles, help people get out of town. Uh, One of the leaders that we're working with uh, has been sheltering about 100 to 150 uh, people from his community in the basement of their church building. Uh, They've been feeding them, um, caring for them, protecting them, you know, in the shelter of that uh, of that subterranean place. And wow. uh, when opportunities come up, some of those families, they've been able to find transportation to help them get out of the, uh, you know, more active danger area to other parts of Ukraine or even out of the country. So, so that's sort of one context and, and a little a few examples of what ministry looks like for us there. Um, there's also in the Western part of Ukraine, likewise relationships uh, amongst the, with churches and then ministry amongst the internally displaced folks. Um, and then uh, as, uh, as the folks, uh, refugees are now moving out of the country, uh, we've got some, uh, again, longstanding relationships with uh, church movements in Poland and in Slovakia, Hungary, and Romania surrounding uh, the area where we're, we're working with those um, partners that we have and helping them um, in, in a number of different ways uh, minister to the Ukrainians, while at the same time um, engaging their churches and their communities uh, in the process of, of helping and assisting and, and thereby actually extending some outreach opportunities. So this, for example, one church uh, where I've spent most a good chunk of time, we have some staff that's still on the ground, it's in uh, Poland, right near one of the border crossings, and uh, that local church has been, it's a small church, uh, maybe 30 or 40 members in it, 
uh, but they've just been totally activated by this uh, crisis and they've been um, housing people and feeding people and transporting people um, and uh, and so we have uh, folks that are alongside just uh, that church is trying to expand their capacity to be able to do that so you know driving some vehicles or helping with logistics and coordination and, um, and such the um, the other piece that we've uh, we've found is that there's a lot of focus in in general and it's typical in this crisis and in most everyone there's a lot of focus on the physical needs that are obvious maybe to people you know food and clothing and shelter and maybe some medical things um, and we're certainly working alongside our local churches to to help and engage in that area but we find that frequently and in this case it's it's certainly the, certainly true um, the emotional relational care is really overlooked and so um, so we have a, a trauma care team that is within our one of the teams within my uh, our crisis response ministry so our trauma care director is on the ground uh, in, um, in the region now as well and uh, we've been equipping local churches with the basics of active listening and, and just how to do this well um, and just participating ourselves in debriefing families as they're coming out of the country. Uh, I got a message yesterday from one of my staff members um, at this local church in Poland. Uh, they spent about two hours uh, hearing the story, debriefing a family that has just escaped from Metapol, it's a city in the southern part of Ukraine that's under siege. So one of those days when they opened a humanitarian corridor and there were, you know, maybe three or four thousand people that got out, this family was one of them. They, uh, they had an arduous journey um, from there all the way across the country of Ukraine, got out of the border and, um, and two days ago, you know, showed up at the at the border crossing and then our uh, the folks that we're working with in the local church uh, collected them and brought them back and so we were able to to hear their story um, I mean just heartbreaking just the the, the difficulties that they endured um, but it was such a uh, they were so thankful um, for the blessing of being able to be heard uh, our uh, uh, Steve, my um, my staff person, just patiently listened, um, uh, was quiet when quiet was needed, and uh, and was able in the end to to just hug and pray and encourage um, this family as they were able to just unpack some of the pain and loss and grief that they've experienced. That uh, is really um, unimaginable. Um, and and frankly, for them, is very almost unspeakable. Like they, it's just very hard for them to even speak about the circumstances. But uh, but an incredibly uh, significant part of of uh, what we hope will be the beginning of a process of healing for them. Um, so again, because our focus is on intentional disciple making, um, we find really high value in this aspect of ministry. It's the ministry of presence. Uh, the ministry of, uh, you know, it's a ministry of compassion, but it's it's really a, a ministry of relational presence and um, 
um, yeah, active listening. So it's a little bit of a vignette, you know, a couple of just small stories of what, what it's looked like. Um, we've also been coordinating um, at the, you know, at denominational levels. Um, we're part of the network of, of uh, alliance of evangelical free churches that exist around the world. And so I've been on phone calls with leaders in the free church movement from Germany and France and um, Slovakia, and Poland, and, you know, uh, Sweden, Norway, you know, all across the area, uh, coordinating activities. Um, we have uh, some of our uh, reach global staff in other cities that are hands-on engaged in receiving refugees, uh, helping with some coordination of housing. Um, we've got another uh, member of our, of our Reach Global City team that is working with a group that's kind of networking um, uh, families that are coming across the border that need housing and then um, places that are, uh, are receiving housing. So, yeah, a wide variety of activities that, uh, that Reach Global and our crisis response team um, working with the Reach Global Europe division and the, the city team staff that's been on the ground there for, you know, lives there and knows language and culture and that kind of thing. You know, we're working hand in hand uh, alongside our, our national partners in uh, just a massive, massive uh, undertaking. Um, the other day I was at the border and it, it, you know, you hear numbers of of like 3.4 million people, maybe as of today, crossing borders, leaving the country, mm. and it just sounds staggering. The thing that I've found to be, um, you know, impact so impactful is like I hear that number, I'm reading statistics, but then I'm in the van with the pastor of our local church partner in Poland sitting at the border and we're watching the border right at the, right, right there at the gate. Um, they've, they've been able to get incredible favor with the local police and fire and military and such. And they've got access um, to, to get right, right there at the border. And, you know, you're just watching one family at a time. Um, here comes, you know, a mother with uh, two young children and then, uh, they're, they're pulling, you know, the mom's pulling a suitcase and then there's the children maybe each with a little bag and then, you know, 20 seconds or 50 seconds goes by and then here comes, you know, an older woman and maybe her two uh, middle-aged daughters and, you know, four or five kids all together. So kind of a bigger family unit traveling and again, everybody pulling a suitcase and walking across and then and then there's a, a young teenage boy that I saw that came across by himself I, I don't you know what I don't know what, what his circumstances was but he's probably 16 or something you know and here he is leaving by himself and um, you know and then another mom um, with a young baby like a little an infant uh, you know, maybe a 20-year-old, 20-some-year-old woman and, a, and an infant, you know, then two minutes later, she walks out. So, you know, just seeing uh, these millions, but then being on the ground and looking in their eyes and seeing their face. And, and then a number of these got into our van. And there was one, uh, this young man, the 16-year-old, he got into the van and we were helping him 
you know, get back to the church and get to the next place. And um, I, I couldn't communicate much more than t- say my name. And I heard his name and, um, and uh, uh, you know, but we, but there was a connection. Like I was just trying to imagine his future and, and who is he, where is he going? And where's, you know, what's, what's, what else is happening with his family? But sitting next to him was a, a about a 24 year old woman, and she just was sobbing, mm. and um, uh, and just she was scared. You could see fear in her face. She's in a you know strange place, and she's a young woman traveling alone. Um, so we were uh, through a translator, you know, was communicating with her. And, just again, trying to hear a little bit of her story and where where was she heading and did she have people that she was going to be meeting with and you know could we uh, and some of the uh, other ladies that were in the van you know they were kind of trying to connect with her and and such so you know it's just it, it, it's this massive thing that we see on TV and we hear you know maybe statistics or we see bombs being dropped and you know, some political things, but man, it's, it's individual people, it's faces and, um, um, and it's very personal. So I would say that that's, you know, kind of a, a big reflection that I've taken away from being right there. You know, the, all the numbers and things, but every one of those numbers is an individual face with an individual story. And some people come across and they're, they're very calm uh, and, and they're relieved. Some are crying tears of joy. Like they, they can't believe they're in safety. Um, some are just, the, their face is blank. There's just, it's emotionless. They're, it's like they're, they're just, um, uh, you know, a, a machine, if you will, uh, kind of walking through things. So I would say that that's, a, that, that's kind of a reflection as well. That, that's, um, you know, that's been a bit challenging. Um, I, th- I think the other thing that has been uh, really beautiful, encouraging moment. Um, last Sunday, I was in a church, uh, another one of our partner churches there near the border in Poland, and I came to the church about uh, it was maybe about four o'clock in the afternoon, and I heard music coming from inside, and I thought, "Wow, the, is this a late worship?" Or I didn't really know what was happening, and I walked in, and it was very informal. There was uh, maybe 20 people that were there and they were singing and, and uh, um, actually in a number of different languages. And the pastor came up and he said, you know, our, our church service ended about 1230 or one o'clock. And uh, there was a break and some people ate lunch. And uh, but but some of the people just came and they picked up some instruments. They just had a he said for the last three hours, we've just had a spontaneous worship session. Uh, with Ukrainians and Polish, and there were some uh, other missionary folks that were there. So, you know, English was spoken, Polish, Ukrainian, Russian, um, and German. You know, so this Mark, singing you, together. Mark, you posted, uh, quite you posted a video of this, didn't you, to, to social media? I did, yeah. Yep. I, I thought did. I had seen that, yeah. Yeah. So, again, it just – so the other impression that I had was of – there, there is a vibrant church in Ukraine, and and it it's really um, it's really again amidst the brokenness and pain, 
um, it's incredible to see people that have experienced what they've experienced, but the, but like the power of the gospel, the power of worship, the power of community, um, and the, and the beauty of that when it is expressed across, um, you know, cultural divides, across language barriers, across, um, you know, war. And, and it, it's actually even, it was so remarkable because in this particular region of Poland, um, 80 years ago, Ukrainian, Ukrainians were actually persecuting the Poles. Ukrainians were, were uh, uh, being used as local police by the German Nazis to enforce the, the Nazi regime's uh, will on the Polish people. And uh, a Polish number of people in the, in the local church told me about this reality, that they had experienced this oppression from the Ukrainians. And they said, we've, we've heard from many Ukrainians that they can't believe the welcome that they're receiving in the church. They were fearful. Because they knew what their countrymen, in, in you know, decades ago, had done to the people in, in this region of Poland, and to be received with such grace and such openness, and to have this kind of worship together, you know, just the inc- incredible power of healing uh, that comes in the context of gospel ministry. So, yeah, so just uh, lots of. You know, amidst the amidst the difficulty and pain, um, it's been really an incredible blessing to see beauty um, and unity in the church, and uh, and I and I, I hope that's a you know I hope that's a message. I don't know what's being covered on the news here both here in the U.S. I'm not really I, I just haven't been watching it. You know, I don't know what's being covered, but and I hope for the for the church for your church particularly to be um, broken by what what is being seen because it's there's evil and, and the need for prayer amidst all of this but yet at the same time to know that even amidst evil and the worst of circumstances god is redeeming god is working and god is present in uh you know in a in a portion of the of these ukrainians that are being forced to flee um you know, one of the things that we've been, uh, as we've been thinking about our long-term strategy with with the response efforts amongst the refugees, you know, part of what we're wondering is, will this movement of Ukrainian refugees, this, for the to the extent that there are really active, vibrant believers in in the group of people that are moving, they're moving into places where there really isn't a vibrant church. Uh, you know, many, many, many cities across Europe are really spiritually dead. And, uh, and the, the church that was there, you know, decades and decades ago, they're, they're, you know, the physical buildings have been turned into museums. I mean, they're not even in use, you know. Uh, hence, the, the need for our, uh, our Reach Global long-term missionary staff in Europe. You know, there's, it's, it's a very unreached and very dark place. Um, but we're really prayerful, and we we invite you guys to pray to this end that um, you know the Lord will will be redeeming uh, all of this pain and brokenness uh, for His good and for His glory. Um, I can't think about the parallel of the persecution of the church in the Book of Acts that resulted in the church being dispersed, and as a result, the gospel spread. Mm. And so um, we really 
we're really inviting um, fervent prayer to that effect that as these people of Ukraine are being dispersed, that um, that those carrying the Christ within them would be actually going as missionaries, that they would be bringing the gospel to, you know, cities across Poland, to cities across Germany and France and um, Italy and Greece and Stockholm, you know, just all the places that we hear people are heading, um, and that there might be the birth of a vibrant church movement, a revival, if you will, in other cities in Europe um, as a result. You know, that's certainly what is certainly on our radar, and as we're thinking about, you know, our longer-term investment in the response efforts, um, that's a piece of it. You know, we want to accompany the refugees and help them, um, you know, process their trauma and be able to settle and land well uh, to, to, to wherever we can. But we also want to be there to help um, encourage the believers that are within this diaspora to um, to be living out the gospel and to be uh, bringing the gospel into yeah. the context where the Lord has put them. So, yeah, so lots of lots of different thoughts and uh, lots of different directions right. to be praying. But yeah. um, hopefully that's helpful to give you a little bit. Of oh, notice. no. Yeah, definitely. Definitely helpful, Mark. I mean, just as I listen to you, I, I, I feel all sorts of different like like it feels overwhelming. It feels very heavy at times. Some of the stories and things that you shared at other times, it feels super encouraging. And I'm sure just like as as people in our body are listening to this, they're going to be feeling all of those same things. And I know their their automatic knee-jerk reaction is going to be how what, what can I do and you and you shared with us right there like ways that we can definitely be praying what are other ways people in our body could engage with what the EFCA crisis response is doing in this current crisis yeah I mean we uh, at efca.org or maybe uh, you have some um, some links within your uh, within your church's website or you know plans within the you know just giving on a sunday i mean giving is a huge need we've uh, we've set a goal of of uh trying to raise three million dollars for this response um you know and so the the giving is um you know it's really heading in a number of directions i you know you can get a picture of what the stories i just told of I mean, we're we're helping our local church partner in Poland with gas for the van that's helping them drive back and forth to the border, and um, you know, just some basic things like that. Or one of the churches in um, that we're working with in Slovakia was a, a, a small church again, uh, a solo pastor, and um, uh, he, after we spent some time and helped him, kind of envision what this response could mean for his church and and uh and even more so for for his town and his region um he said i'm a i'm a i'm by myself you know i need help so uh so we've been able to get uh some funds into his hands to help bring on a ukrainian translator for him and a and a, a a ministry um ukrainian ministry coordinator you know so we're investing in in people um, supplies have been going into, you know, into Ukraine and, and been, you know, uh, and elsewhere around, uh, around the continent as, you know, different needs have presented and things. But I think the, the, you know, our, we have a very long-term focus as we think about responding. So, 
Um, you know, we don't know what, actually the event is still unfolding. You know, we don't right. know what tomorrow will hold. So, uh, we don't know what uh, a month or three months from now will look like, but we are certain by this, by the extent of the devastation and the toll that it has taken on people, that this will be a long-term, uh, uh, a long-term response. And, you know, so that, that's in essence, um, you know, we're going to invest in people. We're going to invest in um, in their recovery, and we're going to be investing in the and uh, in, in, in by God's grace, uh, hopefully seeing the a, a vibrant church, you know, emerging amongst the people that are being uh, forced to flee, uh, but also the restoration of vibrant church in Ukraine in whatever. Whatever it looks like politically in the future, if, if, if it's a, a separate country or taken over, or whatever. But but we want to be investing in um, in and through the local church uh, for the long term for these recovery efforts. So yeah, so that's kind of an overview of giving. The other thing that I would encourage um, members of the church to be thinking about it, it's it's really not practical to. Um, to get on a plane and go and help. In fact, it's actually counterproductive. Um, there's not enough housing right now for the Ukrainians. So, you know, coming over and being part of adding to a housing problem is, you know, it's, it's not helpful. Um, but, you know, if this is something that maybe in an individual or an individual family's heart, if you're sensing like these, there, there's refugees and they're being, you know, there's a there's needs among refugees, relational needs particularly. Um, the likelihood that there is somebody within, you know, I don't know, 30 minute drive of Shades Valley that is maybe experiencing something similar to that. Is there a stranger, a foreigner, you know, somebody that's not from here uh, that is nearby? Maybe somebody from another country, or or even just from another part of of our country, you know. So it, it's kind of prompting, I'm hoping that, that this event maybe prompts in the church the thinking about, like, well, who is the stranger, and who is my neighbor, and how can I engage in, in that? You know, how, how, what, what might be my practical, practical call as a result of what I'm seeing in Ukraine, seeing what's happening in the lives of these people, and knowing that probably there's somebody in my area that is maybe experiencing something similar, you know, in terms of their life being moved or disrupted. The other thing that I hope that um, maybe people would consider is who, who in your, you know, in our individual circle of relationships might be experiencing some other kind of crisis so that these folks are experiencing a crisis of war and deprivation and disruption and destruction. Um, but there's probably somebody within our circle of relationships that's experiencing something else, like a broken relationship or a job loss or a death in the family or, you know, some other kind of, of significant trial, an accident, a diagnosis. And, um, and, and what could that, how, how might I be able to step into that crisis? How might I be able to, how might this crisis of, you know, awareness of what's happening to people from Ukraine, how might that create an awareness for me of 
who who is in my circle that's in crisis and how might I engage with them, you know, in some relational way. So, again, they're not necessarily direct things, but uh, but maybe things that that um, that uh, would prompt people to, uh, you know, to do what you can with what you have where you're at. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I wonder, Mark, like as you as you talk about all that, I'm sure people uh, in our church will want to be able to keep up with uh, how the EFCA crisis response continues to develop as the situation develops. What are the the best ways for people to stay abreast specifically of y'all's uh, work and ways that they're going to be able to support it, ways they're going to be able to, uh, or new needs that arise uh, in prayer? Um, I mentioned earlier in that video that you posted on Instagram, so I know that y'all have an Instagram account that's one way people can can keep up, but what's probably the, is, is that the best way or are there more? Yeah, I mean, through social media, we have, um, we're on Instagram as Reach Global uh, Crisis Response. Uh, for Facebook, it's EFCA Crisis Response. Um, we have a blog uh, at WordPress, it's Reach Global Crisis Response on the WordPress blog. Um, staying in touch with the EFCA update, uh, the email that comes out from the EFCA uh, about every two weeks. You know, we'll, there'll be stories that'll be uh, posted um, in there. But you know, I, I would say this: those social media channels, um, you know, are probably uh, great ways just for, you know, the, the quick stories, the little picture picture of of you know what's happening, uh, you know, what's happened in the last couple of days and things. So. For sure, and we can we can include uh, a link to a couple of those things um, when we post this uh, this interview. Um, maybe kind of as a, a a final thing, and I know that this is uh, super fresh, and and you're focused on on what's going on with your family there in Pennsylvania. So I don't even know if there's an answer to this question right now, but uh, y'all are stationed right outside of New Orleans headquartered there, and I know that New Orleans was hit just last night. Um, with a, a tornado, is there already a developing response from EFCA crisis response and maybe ways we can uh, pray or, or be involved there? Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, uh, I, I was uh, on uh, messaging back and forth with my wife last night. She was taking shelter in, uh, you know, in, in an interior closet in our house as the tornado was, was um, not too many miles away. So yeah, the, we got hit pretty bad. Uh, the New Orleans area got hit last night. Um, fortunately, we were, you know, our uh, church and ministry center and home, you know, it was spared. But um, mm. yeah, our team is actually out assessing today uh, what that looks like. Um, we, we've we been um, actively involved in the Lower Ninth Ward since 2005. We're, we've we actually still this this spring we just did a roof on a house that was flooded from Hurricane Katrina. So there's there's actually still ongoing Katrina work. Wow. Um, our area was hit by Hurricane Ida uh, last August, actually on the August 29th, the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. Uh, we got a direct hit again. Um, so we've been hosting short-term teams in Covington, uh, helping with the Hurricane Ida response. There's a team from um, uh, Taylor University and, and um, uh, First Free uh, First Evangelical Free Church of South St. Louis uh, they're 
uh, with us this week, uh, working on some um, uh, outreach and re- you know recovery work from that storm. And so, yeah, we're we're anticipating there'll be something happening. I know sure. the next town over from ours is called Lacombe, and uh, the tornado that went you know hit the south, uh, hit went through New Orleans, came across the lake, and then hopped back on land and went up through Lacombe. So. Mm. Um, if, yeah, so if people at our I don't church, even know what's, what's the, I don't even know what's going on there right. at this point, but our team is out, uh, they were making some heading out in a couple of directions today mm-hmm. to assess what that's going to look like. I, I was just going to ask if people in our church were interested in, in being a part of a short term team, um, where, where do we get started? Um, do we just reach out to just the headquarters there? Yeah, you could. Yeah, absolutely. The email is respond at efca.org. And uh, if there's if there's a team that would be interested, you know, it, it'd be best if they started, obviously, with you guys at the local church level. And sure. it was something that was, uh, you know, organized through, uh, uh, you know, coordinated through your missions uh, uh, program and mm-hmm. uh, vetted out through the elders or leadership or pastoral team or whatever, right. you know, so. Um, so they were being sent by the local church, but, um, but yeah, it just, that, that's the simplest thing. It's respond at efca.org and, uh, that goes right into our office there in Covington and, uh, and, uh, one of the, one of our staff would get back to you pretty quickly on that. Awesome. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time and sharing from your experience and sharing from your heart, getting to hear your faith, getting to hear what the Lord is doing. It's so encouraging, and we are so honored to be uh, connected in some way to you through the EFCA. Uh, As you were talking, it just made me so thankful for the denomination and for um, the work in some small way that we're able to be a part of through our uh, through our connection with the EFCA and, and being brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we, we just want to thank you again for your time and know that we're praying for you and your family. And so with that, how, how can we be praying specifically for you right now? I know you mentioned what's going on with your family, so we definitely want to keep that in mind. But are there any other things that we can be praying for? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, we're, you know, it's the, um, it, it's, it's, really interesting when um when we are facing major crises major deployments like this it our family has just experienced all sorts of um you know disruption Mm. uh i leave i leave and you know over the years over the over the last 20 years you know i leave i'm going to wherever you know the earthquake in nepal or japan or africa or you know, wherever I'm going and invariably that's when the car breaks. That's when the dishwasher doesn't work. You know, that's when whatever the day I'm getting on the plane, uh, in the airport, you know, getting on the plane to head to, uh, to Europe. And I get the news that my dad fell, mm-hmm. you know, it just, so the, 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 um, uh, there's spiritual attack. I mean, there's, you're seeing a physical war being played out, but this physical war is, a 
physical manifestation of a spiritual reality. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just being in prayer for our team, um, our family, just for that that aspect of spiritual protection and uh, and for our, our local church partners on the ground in, you know, Poland and Hungary and um, for the Ukrainian leaders, you know, just that, that aspect of prayer for leaders uh, for spiritual protection um, as they step forward into responding to events like this. It's, it's, it, yes, there's a physical aspect, but even more so, there is a physical or a spiritual dimension to all of this in my experience. It's what I've, you know, what I've, what I've personally felt and experienced. So uh, that would be grateful just on a personal level, you know, caring for, um, for our family, but also other leaders. And, um, yeah, I would, honestly, I'd say that's kind of the main thing. I'd say mm-hmm. the second thing that comes to mind, um, uh, man, our, our ability to respond well is directly proportional to our staff's capacity and capability. So we're always asking people to pray like for our ministry, the number one prayer request is Matthew 9:38, asking the Lord to raise up workers for the harvest. And that could be people that could come on a short-term team for a week, but it could also be people that would be like semi-retired that could have a few days a week or a few days a month or a month every or a week every few months or, you know, just what is that spiritual gift of availability and how is that being, could that be invested in a kingdom way in the mission field that follows crisis? Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to build our trauma care team. Um, you know, I would love to have, I'd love to be deploying right now across New Orleans. We just had the tornado. I'd love to have four cars out right now with teams of two in them, driving around neighborhood by neighborhood, uh, walking the streets, um, just asking people to tell their story and listening to their story and then being able to pray for them mm-hmm. um, and being able to do that in the name of the local church, in the name of Jesus. Uh, but I don't have the staff for that. So, uh, so that's a, another burden that I, that I carry. You know, I know there's these amazing missional opportunities, but we don't have the staff. You know, I trust the Lord. Hey, we, we, we do what we can with what we have. Um, but I also believe that there are people that um, that just aren't aware that they could be part of engaging in missional ministry um, in the mission field that follows crisis, you know, and they can do it on a very part-time basis, you know. So, um, yeah, so those would probably be the, the couple of main prayer requests that that, mm. uh, that I would ask about. Definitely. Well, we have a prayer ministry at Shades, and they meet every Wednesday night. And so after this podcast, I'm going to reach out to our leaders and I'm going to ask if they would pray specifically for, for all those things and for you and and your family right now. That would be much, much appreciated. Yeah. Mark, I'm hoping that we'll be able to continue conversations with you going into the future as well. Cause even as I listen to you, uh, you know, one of our elders here uh, actually is the uh, founder and, and leader of a counseling group, uh, the majority of which the employees are part of our church here, and they focus on and specialize in trauma counseling. And I'm just sitting here thinking about, man, what would it be like to put together 
a short-term team that could be trained here first in trauma care and come out to partner with uh, you in crisis response and do exactly the kind of thing that you're talking about. So it's it's just stirring some ideas even in my own heart. So I definitely hope we'll be able to continue the conversation uh, in the future. But we just thank you so much uh, for your time. Uh, we definitely want to let you get back to your, your family. But thank you just for, for spending some time with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, anytime I'll be, um, you know, probably, I think we're, we're looking at services for my dad in the middle of the week next week and probably Monday, the week following, I'll be getting on a plane heading back over to uh, Europe. So, um, you know, wow. if you need more updates later down the road, feel free to call. I'll be over there probably for about another three weeks stint and come back. So absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Mark. And we will definitely be praying for you. Yep. Cool. Well, I appreciate you guys. Um, it's a yeah, blessing that uh, blessing to reach out. I know we. Um, I don't know if Ed's still around anymore, but I got to spend a lot of time with Ed back oh, in the yes. day. Oh yes, Edward down. Kaler. Oh, yep. Ed is Ed is amongst our favorite people on the planet. Yep, he's he's one of mine. So if you see him, tell him I said hello and give a hug for me. And, Absolutely. Um, yep, I appreciate him so. Well, thank you, Mark, and we'll we'll talk with you again hopefully very soon. Well, thank you so much for listening. We hope that you enjoyed um, that interview. I know there's there's so much there, parts of it so heavy, some some so encouraging. Um, but like John Mark said at the beginning. Uh, Look in the show notes. There's going to be tons of links there about ways you can continue to be engaged or interact with the EFCA crisis response or support. Um, and, yeah, we just uh, hope that you'll uh, continue to be in prayer for all the work uh, that's going on, not just through our denomination, but through uh, the universal church uh, of Jesus Christ. So, yeah, be in prayer, and uh, thank you for listening. If you uh, If you want more information, or anything like that, you can email us at Shades Valley, I mean, excuse me, not Shades Valley, at midweek at shadesvalley.org. Because, Brad, do you want to say it? We should really get a jingle. Should get a jingle a to like close this something. out. Something, yeah, with, uh, with the phrase. But, yeah, at Shades Midweek, you're part of the conversation.